Welcome back, dear listener, to another episode of Gain It For Riffs, the only podcast about riff. Uh, <laughs> Again. <laughs> Again. Singular. Uh, there's Still all, comes back. Yeah. Only one riff. <laughs> only one riff only at the time. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess so. The podcast about riffs. And uh, it's been a while since we recorded last time. A lot of things have been up and going. I mean, we're even recording on a Monday today. So it's uh, it's Monday blues, I guess, instead of a Friday party. But I actually like Mondays. I, li- I like the start of a week. It's a lot usually a lot of things to look forward to and uh, it's nice to actually, i like to get cracking and get going as well with the more productive side of mm-hmm. of the week and how are you yeah, i'm good I'm, I'm i just had an exhibition uh, for the first exhibition uh, after corona uh, which was great uh, it went really well i think uh, did a sculpture that i'm uh, very happy about uh well i mean you know like with uh, with corona here uh, we're getting Tomorrow, I mean, this this is maybe the freshest uh, podcast we did we ever did because we're recording yeah. just two days before release, uh, which doesn't normally happen. So maybe it's something. Uh, tomorrow there will be new rules uh, set out, so maybe it's we're going for a to- total lockdown here in the Netherlands uh, because really? it's going so bad. So I'm very happy Second that wave. I got at least a show uh, under my belt, uh, another show this year, and um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, it, it's weird. You can't have an opening, and uh, people have to time slot themselves in. I really don't like that. I, f- I hope we're soon back to normal because this this just doesn't cut it in my yeah. book. Yeah, I mean, I'm a bit of a. I'm not very patient as a guy. It's one of my lesser virtues, I guess. So I just accept like it's like this forever until it's not. Yeah. I can't go around waiting or wishing for, for things to change. But, mm-hmm. you know, at least in Stockholm, at least in Sweden, we are less locked down still. Uh, it's kind of working. And I mean, but I've had a lot of my plate lately. And I, Yeah, I was curious. I was curious. You went on a tour. Yeah, not really a tour. On an on a, on a inter, intercity gig, you know, like uh, the other side of Sweden is almost like halfway to you, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're driving from Stockholm down to Malmö which is right by Copenhagen and the Danish border. So I think it's like if you drove as far again, then you'd be kind of in, in Amsterdam. Yeah, precisely. Uh, I think there's like, eight, like 18 that. hours to to uh, drive from Amsterdam to Stockholm and like yeah. nine hours to uh, to Malmö. So yes, something like that. I yeah. think you're right. Yeah, and I mentioned in the show before... Why did I you stop? Out, uh, you could have come down here. We could have had a live riff show. Yeah, yeah. No, I told the guys afterwards because it was a beautiful Sunday in Malmö yeah. and we were eating our uh, like a breakfast falafel, which you kind of, it's like an obligatory thing to do there. Uh, yeah, and uh, I was saying like, yeah, it's eight of us, so I'm not even going to try. But if it was just me, I wouldn't go home now. <laughs> you know, I'd go down to Copenhagen at first because that's a yeah. great city and then maybe further. But it always happens when I'm out traveling that I'm like, I've left home and I'm used to this already. So I might as well stay on the road. But, mm. you know, you got eight people, people need to go home to their families, etc. Mm. So. Yeah, it's kind of rough. I don't know if you, dear listener, have been on a van tour at any point, but it's quite rough, really. Like, you start off with this uh, meeting up in the uh, ass crack of dawn, as you say, yeah. to pack, to do the Tetris packing of the van. You know, it's a, usually quite a lot of backline, even when you can borrow from the venue. In this case, it was Plan B in Malmö. Good venue. I was impressed by the venue. And uh, yeah, as I said, our Corona rules are different, so we could have seated guests. 
and uh, quite a few of them, more than 50, because uh, they were seated and the, the place is big. Uh, yeah. they're, they're kind of leveling it somehow. So the gig itself was great. I mentioned before in, in the show that I tried with this band, uh, Blood of Jupiter, like uh, as a session bass player. And um, it went really well. We had two gigs now. and um, But still, with all the like <laughs> trials and tribulations of touring and just, you know, I forgot how hard it can be to be in a band. So that session is is officially over for me, mm. which will give me more time to riff at home again, and do this kind of thing and, and play. I'm, oh, I'm going to have to get back on stage, though. Because it's yeah. so fun to play, I really enjoyed it, and uh, even with the twelve hours plus of <laughs> of van tripping, and <laughs> yeah, the thing is, the weekend before that was also intense for me because I fell off my bike for the first time in ten years, and really badly too. Yeah, I saw the pictures. Yeah, I smashed my face up completely, which was you know it was sad. First three days, I couldn't show my face. I used a corona mask. Not for Corona, but for covering <laughs> up my battered face. No, honestly, dear, dear listener, I don't know if uh, Jonathan's gonna put this out on our Instagram, but uh, I, I got like I- immediately like daddy feelings. And <laughs> I was like, oh no, we have to take care yeah. of you. <laughs> and I don't yeah. really feel that way about you normally. <laughs> it's more like exactly. ah, he can take it, but you looked, you looked really bad. Yeah, I was battered. I was battered. But many people did did get their parental feelings on, which I guess is a good thing, you know. Yeah. Some people caring about you. And I, I didn't go to the hospital because it wasn't bleeding that much. But recovery was rough, and I was practicing for the gig. And, you know, uh, people get nerves when the gig's coming up. So there's less sympathy. And, uh, yeah, it was a tough week, a tough couple of weeks. And then yeah. you had your exhibition. So we yep. really didn't have time to prepare anything for Game for Riffs, but no. now it's Monday and there was this time slot, so we're back on air at least. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it feels really good as well. And uh, yeah, I also uh, did made some musical progress here. I met a drummer that is like, man, he's really good. I sent him a, a track I wanted him to try to lay, lay drums on and he was really excited, but he also had like a bad fall, so he hurt his hand but now he came back and uh, sent me a drum track that just was like wow it's reignited the track the the song and uh, i was like okay maybe there is there is something here maybe that we can build on and uh <laughs> yeah he was a lovely feeling. he's also like uh he plays in a couple of cover bands <laughs> like uh actually a queens of the stone age cover band and a uh, the police cover band, and that's really—I heard Ooh. that in the drum track, which was really nice. Amazing, uh, amazing. Yeah, a lot of nice fills, super tight. So uh, yeah, <laughs> I have to up my game there. Yeah. Also, songwriting sessions. Yeah, like a couple of weeks back, uh, if not even last week, I mentioned that um, you know the, the feeling of playing with a drummer, even if you're not directly playing. In this case, you're playing one by one on the same track. Mm. Still, like it, it gives so much to a guitarist, to a guitar player. That's why I kind of. I don't pity, that's maybe too bad of a word, but I do kind of pity the bedroom guitarists that never play with real drummers. Yeah. You know, just play with MIDI drums and drum tracks, and they're like, yeah, they sound like real drums. Sure, they sound like real drums, but they're played by a computer. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not the same. It's just not the same. Yeah. Uh, The the groove track from a drummer is gold to any guitarist. Definitely, definitely. No, but it's also like, it would be so cool to make a proper session with a drummer that's not playing to click track that's just like playing yeah <laughs> with the feeling uh, a little bit like we uh we recorded <laughs> our old demos <laughs> with Bjorn our drummer yeah yeah uh, i i was riffing uh in his earpiece <laughs> sort of yeah and he was the funny thing away. is ba- so back good. then i thought that was really unprofessional 
I didn't. I thought that every professional surely plays with click and grid because I was from this metal scene, right? Mm. But when I look at it now, I think it's kind of more professional to play that way. You know, you go back to bands like Deep Purple; they would never. They have used clicks occasionally, but they would never have the feel of click. You know, yeah. it's always a live feel, and uh, with the organic thing, and a feel could be a bit longer, a drum feel. You know, you don't have to hit it back on the next main click. No, so exactly. in that sense, you get a more human feel to it, and you know, yeah. Just more human, and it will be more relatable for the listener too. Even though they have no clue about what a click track is, mm. they still will feel like, okay, this band grooves and swings. Mm. You can leave the click track in. I think if you use a click track, why don't you just leave it in the track? <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> be, know, like the metal bands, the metal bands that play live and they root it wrong, like they, they, <laughs> they, they mess up the sound, so they root, it comes back out. <laughs> <laughs> we mentioned Ola Englund before and he had a great thing doing this he was playing in Frankfurt in this kind of uh, prestigious uh, clinic uh, kind of instrument clinic or metal clinic I think and the mm. Meshuggah guys were there you know heroes of his and and he's getting ready to play um, Jukke Skog was in the band at, at the time I think from Clawfinger and a good producer as well he was the bass player and they they get ready to play first time in years and the first thing that comes out in the PA is a voice whispering one two three <laughs> Four and then it starts like first thing you know after years of of, of stage absence yeah. they still talk about that <laughs> kind of funny. <laughs> I think this this kind of things I mean you could really play around with also live uh, you know why not I mean they, it, everything is so fucking yeah. serious all the time when bands play live yeah. it's come on <laughs> live a little yeah, I agree I agree. I love I love serious musicians and serious music, but also sometimes it's just so fun to just spoof <laughs> it up and fuck it up. And we had an old joke band, I guess I suppose, mm, de- <laughs> a duo called Wolf Wolfage. Wolfage, where we Wolfage. yeah, where we made I, I don't even know what we tried to do with that. We just we wanted to do something stupid, I guess. Uh, um, and uh, we wanted you to play more leads and me to play less leads. And uh, yeah, it was some some kind of weird idea to do a satiricon or. A, Entombed slash Mastodon, but yeah, it's stupid. It, it was at at the time, I think, two thousand five or something like this. We we listened for fun to Bandit Rock Radio and had these bands like Avenged Sevenfold and some, some like the softer Slipknot songs that always like break out, goes with kind of a hard uh, verse and breaks out into this uh <laughs> schlager chorus and we i think yeah. we wanted to work on that like the the verse as heavy as humanly possible and uh <laughs> the, the chorus as <laughs> sleazy and light as possible and like i really went yeah. for it i think maybe we have to put uh one of those songs at as the as the ending of this episode i think yeah, that's fun. true that's true but I think in, in, in our credit, or I guess in your credit, the, the way you would compose a Schlager chorus would be more singer-songwriter you know, style. It was not really like the Sabaton chorus or something oh, no, yeah. overproduced. That's it was true. quite... So in a sense, we had a new thing going, but it was never serious. And, and I'm not going to out the plans because I think they're brilliant, but <laughs> we have <laughs> yeah. some funny plans for live shows, which could include putting the click in the, <laughs> oh, in the speakers. Oh, definitely. All kinds of weird stuff. But I don't want to say it because someone might steal my super good ideas for, <laughs> but for, also for, for a joke, like, with, with the story goes that we had been out partying on new year's eve and then i slept over at your place <laughs> we started recording today at my dad's place <laughs> my dad's, dad's chagrin yeah. he hated it <laughs> of course always. no no he didn't he always oh. liked you actually yeah, yeah me no no he, he yeah. hated the fact that we were recording on the 
Uh, not on that particular time, no, I mean, but many other time. times. He, he loved it. Times. I, I'm, saying, I'm yeah. saying this, he no. loved it. Yeah. <laughs> on another song of ours, I was up recording vocals in the middle of the night and he comes in and he's actually on the track saying like, what the hell, you know, you should go to bed instantly. <laughs> I put it in the track. Yeah, so anyway, that's some memories. Nice to, maybe nice to travel back a little bit into memories after a rough couple of weeks. I, I don't know. If this pod is anything, I think it's a memory lane of riffs and metal memories. Yeah. And you know, why not? Some realizations. <laughs> yeah, some. A couple. You know, some realizations. Or maybe you realize something and then you unrealize it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the quality of Man War last week. <laughs> oh. You got into them and then out of them again. Yeah, it went, <laughs> went fast. <laughs> and from zero to hundred and back to zero again in the span yeah. of five minutes, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I'm, um, yeah. so speaking of all this nostalgia, I'm also I'm on a nostalgic trip again today. It's another one of those you, that I found out back in, uh, in high school. And um, the contents of this album lyrically also deal with quite a bit of uh, nostalgia, which is not typical for the genre. So mm-hmm. I'll get into that later. Ah, but, so you, um, you're, you're starting today with uh, your riff, right? Yeah, I gotta, I gotta, because I'm so like worn out and battered from the last couple of weeks. I don't know if I can riff at the end of the episode. In the end, I might just want to sit and listen to you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so let's see which band plays most uh, after the grid and to the click uh, after yeah. the episode. We can have a, a ranking. <laughs> number <Yeah>. one, number <laughs> two. <laughs> All right, so here goes. <laughs> Nice. Uh, I, I I can't place it, but I really liked it. I was uh, headbanging a little bit here uh, <laughs> behind my monitors. Uh, nice, uh, but I'm not even gonna guess. Uh, or I want I want to say I, <laughs> I want to say death, but I don't know. I don't know death. Actually, it's it's actually it's death. Yes, yeah, I so knew it. it. Chuck Schuldiner, death. Chuck Schuldiner, nice. Yeah, Chuck <laughs> And I mean, it's these kind of riffs it could have been in one of the Wolford songs, you know, one of the heavy verses when you go for the... <laughs> would have been the vocals in Wolford. Can, can, uh, is... can, can I say something? Just the initial, like, what, what I get from this riff. Sure, sure. That it's so extremely honest. I don't know. I, it, it's, it's so... Uh, it's just really, really good, and I think that these uh, this this riff is honestly from 
him, you know, like this, this is kind of, and I don't know anything about death. I know I heard a couple of songs and I'm not going to guess which one this is. Uh, When I say honest, it's like you almost go back to like the um, uh, Kurt Weill episode. Uh, That this is something like this guy, this is all he does. He plays, uh, he makes these songs and he does it good and he really like perfected it. It really, I hear this just from the riff. It, it sounds a bit stupid to say this, but I really, yeah, that's I, what I felt. The first thing, it's honest. I really like this. I like this interpretation. Honest riffage. Of, of, of him being like an honest riffer. And I think maybe this album, it's called Symbolic. This album, it's from 94 or 95. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. I had to restart my computer, so all my articles are out, but I do have the CD in front of me. Yeah, 95. So mm. it's a bit into their career since they started in the mid-80s. Uh, under the name of Mantas, and the album is symbolic, and the song is uh, Crystal Mountain. Yes, I've, it's a I've cool did, title. I did, yeah, I did look this up. Um, I was looking into death uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I, I didn't. It didn't really stick like the info, but I did hear this song. I think a live performance, and uh, it was really fucking good. Yeah, no, I, I remember meeting this band when I was, uh, we were in Skåne, borrowing like a countryside home of, of my cousin's family. So we had to do like the, the Copenhagen road trip. And I bought a couple of CDs. I was really getting into metal. I, bought, I remember I bought the Best of Judas Priest and I bought the Death Live in LA. Mm. And this song was on there and I wasn't, you know, still I was young, so I wasn't really into death metal at the time. So uh, um, Death really kind of opened it up for me with their more melodic sensibilities, which yeah. really started a, a bit into the career, maybe let's say about a little bit less than, a little bit short of 10 years into the career. They, um, or Shuck rather, because it's his band, um, kind of got tired of death metal. He started it. He's been called like the godfather of death metal, and mm-hmm. he, he doesn't really like the term. He always said that death for him is a metal band. And just that. He doesn't want to have it more complicated than that. <laughs> and he really got more into his heavy metal roots, his Iron Maiden roots, and uh, started writing these melodic riffs. And the first riff that really caught my eye was in this song. And I played it now in the sequence. It's this riff. And that's not a death metal riff at all. No. Yeah, I, I would argue that it's extremely influential on other death metal bands, though. Because you, you do hear this, uh, quite a lot of, of this in uh, death metal that came after, uh, yeah. I would say. In, in, in a poor, the poor man's death would be uh, Swedish band Dismember, maybe. And the, you hear a lot of this. Uh, uh, this yeah, surely. Yeah. Uh, and it, well, I mean, their their best stuff is probably ripoffs of Death. I would say, yeah, kind of. Even though, of course, they found their own sound, which has been replicated many times. So, still cred to this member. Even though I was always an entombed guy, mm. I don't know why. It's like if you got entombed, you don't. Maybe you don't need this member. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. <laughs> but for me, it was always like, why should I listen to the to the ugly cousin? <laughs> you know, I want to entomb this enough for me, and I had death, morbid angel, etc. You told me a story about uh, this member recording a live DVD. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it was maybe like very uh, indicative of of them. I don't know. It's just yeah, fuck. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's you want to retell cringy. it or should I? 
Yeah, please. It's uh, <laughs> like at the at the end before the encore, the crowd starts leaving. At that time, they were not that hyped. They still were quite active live because later years they've been headlining like uh, death metal festivals and being yeah. the, like the main attraction. But here they were a band in Stockholm and they they're recording this DVD. And before the encore, encore people start leaving, going for the wardrobes. <laughs> Vocalist Matti Kerke goes on stage angry and is like, "Where are you going? Are you going home to watch children's TV?" <laughs> Absolutely cringy. <laughs> Absolutely cringy. Come on, just go on stage, put on the HM2 pedal and start riffing. People will come back in, of course. I, I you know, do. Don't, don't I, verbally attack the audience. What the hell? I, I do appreciate that they left that on the DVD. That's. Uh, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think they did that, actually. Oh, okay. That would have been cooler. Yeah. No, this is Blooper reported from my friends. It's reported <laughs> from my friends. Sadly, they didn't. If they had done that, that would have been cooler. But I think this was just a cry of cry for help from his side <laughs> it it it's it, it's just i have to my best experience of a failed encore is uh, i went to see dungen swedish band uh, we will return to them uh, i just have to figure out their songs because they're not tabbed um <laughs> uh, the singer gustav Eistes, he's uh he's on stage and he they uh, uh they're, they're about they just finished the last song and you feel that they're about to go out and then come back in again. But then all of a sudden, uh, Gustav here just runs out of, uh, out of uh, jumps off the stage and runs out. And, uh, <laughs> and he doesn't come back. And then the, the bass player is like, yeah, okay, I guess there's no encore. And, then, <laughs> and everyone's just puzzled. But then I read that I was there, but I didn't really catch it. But there was a, like a loud sound that came out. And then he ran out. Yeah, I know this one. Yeah. Yeah. afterwards i read on a like a couple of months after i read on a forum that apparently the drummer had farted so loud it got picked up yeah. by the bass drum mic and yeah. Gustav yeah. was so embarrassed that he had to run out i've retold this many times it's one of my favorite encore stories uh-huh. <laughs> it's just like I, yeah i can relate to it a little bit from maybe recording the show and it's technical difficulties or something doesn't work or yeah you know the riff doesn't come across and you really like kind of get out of the mood but maybe, yeah, maybe I have it to... It only happened to us one or two times. Well, I think one or two times we started recording an episode and it was like, nah, can't do it. <laughs> you know? But I, I don't really have like um, SM58 mic'd up on like my chair level. So it's it's, it's not going to happen. No, it's never so. been an issue of fartage. <laughs> not yet. So far. <laughs> not so far. Well, maybe when we get rich and famous, we can mic the whole everything. They can just contact mic mics everything. everywhere, <laughs> picking yeah. up every little sound. You can hear the sweat coming out. Yeah, after the port. <laughs> a new sound. So yeah, I mean, the death, death started. They started in 84, very early for a death metal band. I think they were called Mantas at the time. I know that at some point they were called Mantas anyway. I don't know when they switched the name, but uh, the legendary debut is Scream Bloody Gore. And it kind of, you know, it really cements everything that is death metal in one single release. Mm. Um, it, with the front cover, which I like a lot, it kind of has this cartoonish vibe with this guy sitting on the, his death throne with a, yeah. a goblet of wine. And mm. is it called goblet? Sh- yeah, yeah, goblet. Yeah, yeah sure. Chalice, chalice. Goblet? Yeah, something. Yeah, holy and grail. Some, you know, and he went with his de- deadly um, side figures around him, and uh, just a cool cover. And I haven't listened a terrible lot to. Album. It has some cool songs like Zombie Ritual. Yeah, it's really cool. And um, Evil Dead, I think, is on that one too. And it, Evil Dead says a lot because Death Metal was by our podcast colleague Fenris. 
defined by saying that it's a way to make this kind of horror film no, cho- no choices and give them a metal context. Mm. And uh, another hero of ours that is mentioned often is um, Nick Anderson, mm-hmm. of course, had his band um, Nihilist and did tape trading with Chuck, uh, as did Fenris. And, um, and he said that for him, death metal was the first time where you could get the heaviness of Black Sabbath and the speed of uh, Slayer at the same time. Oh, yeah. uh, for him, it was like a given, like, this is heavy and fast at the same time. Yeah. I mean, it can't get much better, right? Definitely, definitely not. So they, they jam on, and it's a little bit more um, death metal in the beginning. Second album, Leprosy, I've listened more to. I've featured a riff before, so I might as well feature it again from um, Pull the Plug, a song about anesthesia. Or, no, not anesthesia, what's the word? Uh, <laughs> the, the album by Megadeth? Yeah, yeah. Euthanasia. Uh, like euth- death, euthanasia. someone die, yeah. Pull the Plug, it has a, I really like this riff, and it's very death metal, like... You hear it there, right? Yeah. It's kind of horror type vibe, and it's heavy, a little bit down tuned, down tuned to D. I, I, of course, I didn't play it correctly, but I like this uh, these big jumps in, uh, like, uh, not playing the, the closest uh, uh, chord, but jumping over the neck. I think that's really dramatic in this riff. I, I really like that. Actually, the way you played it now sounded like a new cool death metal riff. Yeah, but I already <laughs> because it's it, become so. <laughs> slightly stupidly, it's become like a sport within death metal to be true within quotation marks. Mm-hmm. to make riffs uglier. Like uh, people started making the riffs too advanced or too nice. Uh, many like diehard death metal fans believe in the mid nineties. So it's become this thing to make them punkier and uglier, you know, with bands like uh, Death Breath, for example. Oh, death Breath, yeah, I was just Robert thinking Passions about Death Breath. Yeah, trying to make them ugly by choice. And yeah, I'm not gonna get into details about that. I'll stay on topic and with the, with the death. And they, I mean, they had uh, member changes, maybe too many to mention. and. Uh, you know, they're going forward, touring a little bit in the States, but uh, Chuck is a difficult person to tour with. Mm. They, he cancels European tours at the worst possible time where there's down payments have been done for buses and stuff. He creates a lot of problems for his own band. And uh, yeah. reportedly he just disappeared the day before a European tour. And the members are like looking everywhere. Uh, what we're going to do? You can't call him or anything. So they decide to go to his house. They ventured, or one of the members, went to, they ventured to, he goes to Chuck's house and he sees uh, that he's probably home. As he gets nearer to the door, he hears blasting of Merciful Fate. <laughs> Someone is blasting Merciful Fate. And as he knocks the door, the only reaction that happens is that all the blinds get closed. <laughs> so you, they can't reach him. And maybe he had some kind of mental problems, maybe bipolar, who knows? Well, anxiety. I mean, it's like it's not that easy to go up in front of a crowd. And I mean, if you have a little bit of something that like, keeps you from doing it and uh, makes you feel anxious about it, I can imagine that's being, it, it, that is yeah. super hard. And uh, yeah, I think that maybe ties into that. I mean, this is really a leap, uh, but it, it, for me now, when you explain it and you tell me about it, it really like ties me to the honesty that I heard in that riff. I mean, it's really like yeah. putting your, uh, wearing your heart on your sleeve, you know? Yeah. 
And I think that's just the thing. And I, I really like that, um, that uh, you had that word coming, honest, because I haven't really thought of it that way, but it makes a lot of sense to me. And I mean, as the band progressed, also, like I addressed before, he wasn't comfortable being the figurehead of death metal, even though the band is called Death. <laughs> the first <laughs> album is Scream Bloody Gore. He wasn't comfortable. He wanted to be a metal band, and he wanted to get into maybe um, playing more, yeah, more um, Iron Maiden or Judas, Judas Priest type riffs, and maybe even get a, a singer for the band to mm. actually sing. He was getting tired of just doing it with growls. And on this album, Symbolic, and the album before, Individual Thought Patterns, you can hear that he's, he's trying to break free. And I sympathize, I really sympathize, you know, someone, creative guy, uh, like uh, revered by many, tries to be creative again, and he's stopped by the same guys that, you know, promoted mm. him in the first place. Because they're like, this is not my Jacques Chardonnay. Even Fenris, who I really respect, he said like, he couldn't stand the direction they went in. He thought they destroyed the whole thing. Mm. So then uh, I also wanted that to be a little bit of a theme for, for our discussion here. Like mm. um, maybe your idea or your feelings about a creative artist being sort of taken hostage by his own fans. Yeah, uh, I was just, uh, there, yeah, because we're super uh, current uh, this week, uh, I can talk about, uh, and and because I, I miss going there, I'm just think, uh, make, making a quick jump to Moderna Museet in Stockholm and uh, their current show of Alberto Giacometti, uh, who made, who is famous for this very, long uh, human sculptures that's kind of stretched. I don't know if you can see them in front of you, but they, uh, at least the, the main story that what I've heard is that he uh, did abstract uh, surrealism when that was a thing. And he, he uh, and in, and in surrealism, it was very like dogmatic that you couldn't use a uh, model in your studio. You couldn't paint someone else. Um, but he, he felt, like, and, and he was doing pretty good with this uh, abstract realism, and he had a fan base, and he had a, a gallery paying him, and so on. But then he just like, yeah, no, I want to paint, I want to paint, and I want to uh, make sculptures with models. And then he was just thrown out immediately by the surrealists, mm. who like, who were known for being dogmatic, but had also been like a revolutionary force, almost like the death metal in the 80s sure. like and and it's but, but when you are revolutionary force you fight against something that was stale but you're also becoming the same thing you, it's so easy to become um uh the thing that you hate let's say and so sure, but yeah. but he he started a new career and he threw everything out the window and uh, so i mean Chuck Schuldiner, death metal's answer to uh, alberto giacometti why not yeah yeah, I think so. I like the comparison. And I mean, it also goes back a little bit to the story of Holy Diver uh, that Dio told. Like, uh, in comes the Holy Diver. In this sense, he's the Holy Diver of death metal. He comes in, he saves the crowd. They get to hear something they always wanted to hear. And then he yeah. wants to move on. And he's yeah. not allowed to. They want to keep him. So it's like kind of a selfish uh, mindset from the fans, even though I can understand it. You know, there's other bands and I couldn't keep up with them. But I've said many times in the show that I want to let them fly free in that sense. In that case, oh yeah, I don't want to tell them to go back. How could you? You know, how could you go back to what you did before if you you no longer have your heart in it? Mm. Maybe in a while or something like that. And yeah, on this album, there's a lot of melodic riffs, and you hear it here. It starts with a with a riff with a, a beat called the Stockholm beat. I am like which is a very groovy forward driving four four used in in death metal. 
and uh, you, so you get a great sense of energy with that. <laughs> Simple riff, but cool. Um, kind of uh, why harmonic is minor, this, but uh, why is it called uh, Stockholm Beat? Sorry, for... uh, I think it may have been introduced by Stockholm bands because this is '95, so you might. Have, but I'm not sure where you heard it the first time. But I like that it's called a Stockholm Beat because it's a cool beat. <laughs> no, it, it fits our city. Well, definitely, uh, definitely better than Stockholm Syndrome, which I think it's yeah, you know, <laughs> Stockholm yeah, Beat. It's a tired, tired thing, right? <laughs> and then. Yeah. Uh, you can hear in the riff that he's uh, straying from death metal when he gets to the fill, like this one. Yeah, it's a bit, uh, Already getting a bit technical there, right? Neoclassical, very nice. With this Egyptian run. A little bit Ingvi. Yeah, I like it a lot, and it, it really kind of... A little bit Ingvi, yeah, I think he was probably a fan. Many, many, many guys were. And um, it kind of breaks up the riff, so you get this nice, chunky, simple yeah. riff, but with that... Yeah. It just spliced in, and just once in the riff, not twice. And then um, with the, as I addressed before, the, the bridge riff. Which go to, goes to pure uh, A minor, or a G minor, because they're tuned down. But yeah, let's say A minor. And uh, 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 that's a beautiful riff. I always liked it. It's overdubbed by an acoustic guitar, which is also very untrue in, in a death metal sense, right? To overdub your distorted riff with acoustic. And uh, yeah, I like it a lot. And uh, I think lyrically, it's not my favorite song on the album, Crystal Mountain. I think it's about like sectism. Uh, you know, you build a faith and you lock people in within the faith. But it could also be applied, I realize now, to like the, <laughs> the sect of death metal. You know, uh, built from blind faith, yeah. passed down from self-induced fantasy, turn a page to justify conjuring power, it opens wide. On your seventh day, is that how it's done? Twisting your eyes to perceive all that you want. To assume from ignorance, inflicting wounds with your cross-turned dagger. Yeah, it's actually pretty good. <laughs> Goes towards fantasy. But I wanted to address another lyric on the album from the title track. Yeah, sure. Because of course. when I bought this album, I was very little about lyrics. And, you know, let alone from a death metal band, I wouldn't really pay mind to them. But in the song Symbolic, I kind of stumbled upon them when I got older. And uh, yeah, it's a really cool theme of it. It's, he starts with, I don't mean to dwell, but I can't help myself when I feel the vibe and taste the memory of a time when years seem to stand still. I close my eyes and sink within myself, relive the gift of precious memories I ne in need of a fix called innocence. And then um, a later verse, which I really dig, is, um, do you remember when things seemed so eternal, heroes were so real? Their magic frozen in time. The only way to learn is be aware and hold on tight. So mm -hmm. it's kind of about, you know, leaning back to your innocence and, and childhood and, and um, you know, when heroes felt real and when you had this kind of magic vibe before things got real and you got, became an adult. Mm. Which is not very death metal, is it? No. No, <laughs> sounds more like life metal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's absolutely life life metal lyrics, you know, like mm -hmm. uh, concerning concerning. Um, it's just um, a little bit of philosophy, but also super personal, which is not common in metal at all. Um, it's from yeah, some symbolic. Mean, maybe in a way that was something like we approached it from a, <laughs> a silly perspective, but we kind of went 
we wanted to have uh, these heartfelt choruses in Wolfage, uh, <laughs> which uh, contrasted to the to the murderous wor- verses. Uh, you're gonna yeah. hear it later, dear folks. But uh, yeah, I, yeah. Now I'm I'm becoming a really a fan of death, much yeah. more than last week's uh, Man of War. Uh, <laughs> That's cool. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely learn this riff because it sounds fucking great. Yeah, it's a cool riff, and uh, I like that you said honest because that's what I feel when I read the lyrics to Symbolic. It's very honest. Mm. It's not about trying to make a cool death metal lyric for uh, drunken fans to sing along to. He's like making this honest depiction of what it is like growing older, maybe losing some of the romantic glow that you had when you were younger, and maybe looking for it again. As you say, a fix called innocence. It's it's quite beautiful, and I didn't realize at the time. In in that song, there's another cool riff that opens the album uh, from Symbolic. I heard that one. That's yeah. fucking great. One of the more famous. That's so ones. good. Yeah, to quickly address the rest of the band, you have Gene Hoagland on drums. That's always a good thing. Great drummer. And always perplexing mm. to see him play so fast and precise and groovy at the same time while being super overweight. He's <laughs> just like, where does the energy come from? Thing is, he actually helped it up lately. He got into like uh, goji berries and superfoods. And now he's not fat anymore. It's weird, you know, when people turn that around yeah. at the age of 45, 50. But a cool drummer anyway, and uh, I think who's it's not on this album is not Steve George on bass, but he's another legend. So uh, yeah, Chuck kept uh, kept company with uh, with great musicians, and you can really hear that. And the way he writes is very childlike too. Like he switches keys and he switches tempos at will, mm. you know, without breaks in between the riffs. So I've always felt a little sympathy for the guys that had to learn his songs and play with him. You know, <laughs> imagine learning all those weird changes, and then he's gonna hide. And listen to Merciful Fate instead of going on tour. <laughs> you know, it must have been frustrating. But also, you know, all everything you hear about him is endearing, and I really like. I can sympathize and uh, I can feel um, like a kind of connection to his will to break free from death metal. He started wearing these shirts with kittens on them. You know, before they before kittens were memes, <laughs> uh, just to kind of rebel against all the guts and blood of of, of death metal. And he was, you know. He tried to keep a very calm manner, and and he talked a lot about um, mental health and trying to stay on top of things more so than mm. you know um, snorting speed and uh, drinking and and playing brutal. So I think he's like an ambassador mm. of of uh, what metal could be, you know, as it grows mm. older. Uh, because who can stay? You know, who has the mindset to stay within the same primitive thing? being hostage yeah. kept hostage by the fans and just like no this is all i'm gonna do i mean maybe if you're a complete drunk so you don't develop your personality maybe then you could keep playing the same thing over and over and over without getting tired of it yeah well it reminds me of uh, uh yeah michael Orkefeld uh, telling the story of how they went to the states with their new album uh, which was barely you know not not containing any death metal or growling yeah would, not even growling like uh, far from death metal really. yeah and it was more progressive rock and yeah. they uh approached the tour you know very a hard line just play these songs and yeah. uh, skip uh, skip most of the growling or maybe all the growling 
and they got almost got beat up on the parking lot after the show because people really yeah. expected something else. They expected to mosh, and they come, and it's some like you know, yeah, camel. <laughs> yeah, we addressed it before, and I mean, I also don't really yeah, like maybe. heritage. <laughs> it's not because I don't like the change of direction. I love Prague, but I think it was just you know too much of a lesser version of of the British originals like Genesis or Jethro Tull or whatnot. So I didn't like it, but that meant I also didn't turn up to the gig, you know. <laughs> Why would I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But this was, he was being a bit like, he was too ballsy because they played the gig before the release of the album, I think, or just buy it. So people didn't have time to, to figure it out. And then they play a set yeah. with no growls. The old songs they play also didn't have growls. So even he admitted that that was taking it maybe too far, like uh, being too ballsy at that time, because subsequently they've, they've reincorporated growling songs into their set and they're very comfortable doing so. Now they're even going to do a by request set. You know, so fans are going to oh, request yeah. silly old songs like Black Rose Immortal and stuff, and they're just going to have to learn them and play them. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, where where was it? Uh, the Metallica went when they had to play like Escape and uh, <laughs> Under Ice. <laughs> yeah, I saw I saw or, the by request Metallica. I've seen them three times, and that was the le- least yeah. interesting ones because the Swedish crowd just picked the main ones, you know, the standard ones. Yeah. But in Finland, they yeah. had to play. Uh, Freed and Sanity. Yeah, Finns are the coolest. You know. <laughs> They just picked Freight Dance of Sanity and difficult shit like that, you know. Um, I would have loved to and see maybe that. Maybe like in Paraguay they had to pay, play Escape because it was on the top I four think, tier. I think they, they avoided Escape. They barely avoided it, but uh, they had to play it later because they did the entire Ride Lightning album. So they finally played it. It's, I like that song. It's a good song, but it's a little bit weird too. Yeah. <laughs> Cool song. To escape from the two of those worlds, undamaged destiny. Yeah, with Lars's really. I don't care like, now because stiff. you're on my side. Blah 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 blah. Lars's <laughs> beat there is so stiff. He's like poof, tough, poof, tough, poof, tough, poof, tough, tick, tick, tush. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it maybe not so smart to record in your hometown. I mean, <laughs> you're just <laughs> drunk all the time. <laughs> you have to fill out. the... Fill out a, a top record with uh, yeah, a lackluster song. I can't imagine he wasn't that happy about it. No. Or maybe he wrote it. I don't know. Uh, hard to know with this early Metallicus. That's death. And um, they, I mean, he didn't get that old either, Chuck Schaldiner. No. He, uh, he died in cancer, sadly. Mm. And he died in 2001. So that was just around the time I discovered them, actually. Uh, oh, yeah. In, uh, he died in December 13, 2001. So I don't do Lucia on 13. I do Shack Day. Shack Day. Shack Day. And he was born in 67, started out really early. Again, a figurehead of death metal. And the scene was so small at the time. So I know personally a few of his uh, like firsthand connections in the scene wow. um, today. So like death metal is always this little small crowd. And maybe that explains, you know, the. The, the reluctance to changing the genre because you know it's like mm. this is our little club, this is beautiful, yeah. you know. So I can I can I can understand that, you know. They want their forum, and then all of a sudden he's playing normal metal again, and uh, you know you have to let the you have to let the creators create, I guess. Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, can you play it one more time? It's fucking awesome. Yeah. Thank you for bringing death. Yeah. To uh, my life. Yeah, it was very fun. <laughs> Bringing death to life. <laughs> I'm going to play the riff and then I'm actually ready to uh, head on for something completely different. <laughs> Thank you. 
Thank you very much. Yeah, it was fun. Um, yeah. Yeah, so this week uh, I, I kind of uh, I got into this uh, band that, of course, you've heard. I've heard it. Uh, I just got a bit uh, deep into the riffage and I r- discovered that their riffs are so fucking good. So I'm, I'm just going to play them. All right. I'm looking forward. <laughs> Today got me a pocket full of change. CZ Top. Nice. Nailed that bitch. Just It's a very cool song. Very but you did. Cool nice. Nice. It's a fucking killer riff and a fucking riffmeister, Billy Gibbons, out of CZ Top. What a cool guitarist. Get it with, together with Dusty Hill. And uh, Frank Beard, of course, yeah. uh, drums, and then uh, first bass, and then drums. Uh, fantastic band, so good, very good, um, very good. Yeah, I mean, it, it, they had a career now for almost sixty years, I think. Yeah, and I would wish for them to have a career for a hundred years. You know, I don't, yeah, I don't want a world yeah, without the top in it. What a cool band! What a good band! <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know. Maybe I'll uh, I'll uh, overdub the the bass also because it's really driving in this riff. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. I mean, the guitar comes in. Uh, then there's actually an overdub guitar uh, with this little slide, and then like right in the pocket, the drums and the the bass groove grooves in and just carries that riff. Yeah. It's so like the, this three piece band. I mean. Yeah, we talked about that before, and I uh, wanted to ask you, I mean, uh, being a, a power trio, yeah. you know, like, uh, it's often like a vehicle. Uh, like, we talked about uh, Jimi Hendrix, you know, yeah. his power trio being a vehicle for his uh, insane virtuoso, or, yeah, his solo Experimentation. Like his, uh, yeah, his insane... Ex- experimentation. Yeah. But, but this power trio is more all about getting locked in, you know. Like, yeah. of course, they have their... They're going out there, kind of uh, with um, 
uh, with Zola sometimes and like uh, um, and yeah, surely they surely they don't really like yeah. decide everything like it's going to be this me- number of measures and so forth but they're not as experimental you know they don't they don't flow into another song entirely mm. but they addressed in the Howard Stern show that uh, they often play long versions of certain songs uh, for example yeah. uh, Lagrange maybe I'm not sure but the, that had it like a 10 minute version at some point so they still get the kind of they get the freedom <laughs> takes us down Rainbow around might have been mistaken. Ha 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 ha. A lot of nice girls, if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah! Yeah, great song too. While on the topic of uh, power trios, a uh, fresh story again, yes. like in the tour bus. Uh, we were listening to a lot of this black metal and death metal and stuff. And then at some point I had mm. to chime in like, okay, we're going to have to put on CC Top now. Which they did, <laughs> you know. Because if <laughs> oh, I, nice. I, I normally don't DJ that much. So if I have a request, it's a very serious request. It's like, we can't listen to another death album, death metal album before yeah. we put on CC Top. And then I, I kind of had this uh, speech about how they are the best power trio ever. The perfect power trio. Mm. Adding that I love Grand Funk Railroad, I love Rush, I love Jimi Hendrix Experience. So there's many, you know, and Motred, I love too. So there's many of, like, yeah. the, the, it's a stiff competition. But uh, in terms of Definitely. just being the power trio, the ultimate power trio, it is CC Top, I do believe. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, you're, you're, I think you're right. Uh, I think I kind of discovered that also going back in their discography, checking, got just got paid is from... Um, uh, Rio Grande, Rio Grande Mud, right? And uh, then you have uh, Tres, Hom- uh, Tres Hombres coming after that. Yeah. Tres Hombres. <laughs> uh, with, with some fucking killer riff like this one. Uh, the Beer Drinkers and Hellraisers. Uh, goes. Uh, I can't Super good. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Never that complicated, but still always like interesting. It's not uh, redundant yeah. uh, rock riffage. They keep it interesting, but staying within that. It's not experimental, as we already touched on. Not really. It's another pursuit. Well, well uh, the, the, the song that uh, comes after uh, uh, Beer Drinkers and Hellraisers is called Master of Sparks. That's a really strange song. And that uh, part of that riff goes like this. Yeah, it is, I, you should listen to it on the record. I mean, I can't do it justice, but sure. it's uh, it's good. And then there is like this very strange slide playing. I, I have to go get into my slide playing, but uh, I'm not. Yeah whatever yeah. it's just like very mysterious and it creates this mood and i think they um billy gibbons is like what he does best is that he was always experimenting yeah i mean that's also what happened in the 80s when they brought in like experimental uh, guitars synth guitars yeah. and like uh, yeah i was gonna say that because uh, all this key keyboard stuff i mean it's uh it's pretty out there because uh, just now i claim for being i claim that they're not experimental so i'm gonna have to add that they have experimented but in other ways you know 
the riffs themselves are mm. always easy top riffs, but he was really into uh, getting a synth gear and MIDI gear when it was brand new and creating new sounds and like Eliminator, for example. Give me all your loving. So they kind of went the Judas Priest path that they did with Turbo Lover, they did with Eliminator to bring in like almost machine-like drums, even though they have a groovy drummer and uh, a completely different sound. So uh, I'm going to reprimand yeah. myself on saying that they're not experimental, but they're not experimental in a psychedelic way, maybe. They still no, they stay no, no, rocking. No, no, no. It's, no, it's, it's like uh, they, they know like what they, uh, what they are. Yeah. They know like in what... Uh, in, in what small uh, you know part of music they they exist and like what they do well and and but within that there is room to experiment and I think they do uh, did I mean obviously they did that very successfully uh, but not not so much in the start I think that they uh, shortly after these records that I, I mentioned first they disbanded for a while and uh, Dusty Hill went to work for his dad I think. Uh, mm. As, uh, was it an accountant? Something actually something really boring. Mm-hmm. And but he started growing his beard, and uh, <laughs> then he, they decided that they should get back uh, and restart CC Top. And when they met up, uh, <laughs> Billy Gibbons also grew out this beard. <laughs> I think that's so fantastic. So yeah. they had both these long beards, and it's such a weird thing. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Frank Beard, the drummer, he didn't have a beard, but he has the name. <laughs> you gotta love that. So he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to. Yeah. What a great drummer, too. Every listener knows yeah. that I'm so. I'm really into drummers and all kinds of drummers. And the way he plays is just, you can hear that playing with him is a great time. It's gonna, you're going to have a good time, you know, jamming with that guy. It's just solid, yeah. solid, heartfelt, simple, but not easy drumming, I would say. Yeah. Well, well, I don't. I don't know if we. Owe, I mean, in a way, I think for the, for being like a band that was really big in the eighties, I think the, their look is. Uh, I think something. I just want to go into it because they, they look ridiculous, uh, <laughs> ridiculously cool. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you have two bearded Santas. Uh, one who now plays uh, with like a Stetson hat or a cap sometimes, but underneath he has this coronavirus. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, cap, you know, this looks like a coronavirus with this like uh, small blobs coming out. Yeah, looks that's strange. really ridiculous, uh, Billy Gibbons. But um, he can do. But it. in the eighties, and you have you have these these two guys with big beards, and you have Frank Beard with kind of a mullet and a cool mustache, and uh, everyone's wearing sunglasses, and they're always dancing in like a lambada after each other in the videos. Yeah. <laughs> And the, um, yeah, okay. Now I get a bit excited because the videos are, of course, very important. I mean, they're so stylistically '80s and kind of like a Coca-Cola commercial, like a some some guy working in. A, I think this is the video to Sharp, uh, Sharp Man. Man, right? Yeah. He's working in a um, motor shop, and uh, three girls come by in the CC Top car in the Eliminator, right? And uh, they drop off the key, and it's not really like a story. But but what I find interesting is that they don't use themselves, uh, like CC Top. They don't use themselves as the romantic lead in their videos. They have some other guy, okay, you know, like that obviously looks like a commercial, uh, commercially viable guy, and they are just like happy being the sidekicks. Yeah, uh, kind of helping him along the way or being like uh, the supporters. But they they have no. 
they, I mean, they're cool in their own way, but they don't need to be like. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about Seal, you know, Kiss from a Rose, <laughs> where he's like standing, being yeah. kind of the main <laughs> attraction. Yeah, great song. <laughs> so I feel like great this. song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kiss from a rose on the grave. That medieval melody in the beginning. <laughs> How is that melody in the beginning? You know, it's the intro of the song. Uh, yeah. It's like a super melodic uh, it, minor, like something like that, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> isn't it something like that? Like sad medieval. The kiss from a rose from the do. I don't know. It might return. <laughs> we might return to seal. But uh, as far as music videos goes, I'm, I've never been a fan. I don't like music videos that much. And uh, so I understand the, all these bands that they don't really want to be part of it too much. You know, they don't want to be the lead character. Maybe they're not uh, comfortable with acting and, and whatnot. Mm. And very few bands are like uh, the Foo Fighters. They do their, a bit of acting in the videos and they get away with it fairly, fairly well. But uh, many bands mm. like Iron Maiden never wanted to do videos. They wanted to have it out of their way as soon as possible. And like around 88, they stopped appearing in their own videos pretty much for the mm. rest of their career. So I think it's quite common to not wanting to be this actor center piece guy uh, in a music video, right? Yeah, I mean I mean I think I think you see I I think they 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 get it. They they get why and I think I think the videos are kind of funny uh in a way and very very time like they're really time stamped and uh, true eight is um and I think that they get away with it, uh, but uh, and I think it was important for their uh, for their success. And I think they really went for success in a way. Yeah. Uh, while being so kind of, I think pretty poor, you know, uh, after their first uh, run, and then uh, like really deciding, okay, if we get back, you you know, we have to be really special. And they already had the beard, so then they got the spinning guitars, and they got like you know. <laughs> These elaborate stage uh, yeah. setups and uh, super, like almost Boston-esque uh, artworks, yeah. Uh, yeah. cover art. So I really went extreme. I really went for it. I think that's pretty cool also to decide, you know, like we give it one more shot, yeah. but it better be like serious. Yeah, and all, or maybe seriously entertaining. Because I, I, I keep coming back to the fact that entertainment is not below art for me. I like them both, you know. Enter yeah, entertainment yeah. I mean, is, is serious stuff. Interesting, <laughs> you know. Entertainment is important. If you play in a band, yeah, like yeah. it should be entertaining to watch this band, and that's not mm. at all selling out or deriving from the point. Like a lot of musicians get all hyped up about it all being about the music or the playing and so on, but it's, it simply isn't. It simply isn't. Mm. It's a lot about uh, presentation, image, style, and um, to keep it entertaining and interesting and, and fun for for an audience and captivate the audience really. Yeah. Uh, Back to the riff a little bit. Yeah, we should. Pentatonic. It's a pentatonic riff. Which key is it, or which, which position? Uh, it, it is the like uh, very common position. I'm um, using the uh, pedal note of E. Yeah. And then I'm I'm playing around with the uh, uh, fifth and seventh fret. You know yeah. that position that we always like. Yeah. 
and that, it, it's nice because it's kind of um, uh, he's playing it very fast. It's kind of hard. Look. Uh. Uh. I think I'm uh, influenced by the live version also. That's a bit like uh, louder and meaner, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it's a fucking heavy riff. And it's uh, like, you know, we've, we've been in that uh, that area of the, of the neck is very, you know, uh, often visited yeah. by this podcast. And why not? I mean, it, it's really like a good place to be. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's um, not about creating an exotic riff. It's about creating a, a cool groove, right? So you're not going to do uh, this... In that riff, you know, why would you? <laughs> it doesn't. No, it doesn't no, fit. no. I, I mean, we, we could uh, maybe make a CC top, uh, CC death, uh, right? <laughs> matchup. Give me a, give me a quick chance at trying to fuse the riffs. I, I always enjoy doing okay, that. Okay, sure. Uh, maybe I'll do it in half a step down. It's in between the tunings, right? Uh, so how would that be? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> Always fun nice. to try. <laughs> that's super, super good. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't do it. Uh, uh, wait, 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 wait. Something like that. <laughs> that was the Norlands, Norlands punk that your dad was talking about. New York City. <laughs> Norlands Gulds Rock. Yeah, Norlands punk. New York City. Uh, out on the street. Yeah, anyway. I, I was, I, I, I just have to say, I was, when we were talking music videos there, I was thinking really like, uh, like what band really likes making music videos. I was thinking about this. Uh, again, Refused New Noise. That video is really, it's cool. really good. Yeah. I think. That's like, he, he's a, uh, there are some outgoing personas in that band, and they really bring it. I mean, it's it's hard to make that sort of video, and like bands like the Hives, maybe that came later. It's always like, eh, you know, yeah, it's yeah. just they try, they but try. Eh, it's a good rock band, the Hives. But surely is no CC Top. They're really good live, also, but uh, the videos, I think, is a bit silly. Yeah, they're all overproduced. Uh, no, is it, they're no CC Top because they have way more members doing like uh, uh, less work pretty yeah. much yeah. <laughs> pretty much how is that song yeah. okay <laughs> good riff actually but yeah we're not on the hives today and yeah, I mean yeah. I'm, I'm we'll, we'll get back to them trying maybe. consciously maybe to um, shorten the episodes a little bit again but you can get back to us on that if you like one and a half hours or an hour or, or whatever but, it is but it's also it's also for it's me really it's also for me because <laughs> I, it's for me also because I'm, I'm editing them so if they get really long it can be a bit of a pain and uh, I mean yeah. if this one uh, is released yeah. on the actual date of release that means I hardly even edited it <laughs> If it's released yeah, a day yeah. or a week late, then I've edited it. Otherwise, this is Gain It For Live. Gain It For Live. I like that. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe that's it for this episode. Um, I was thinking, uh, yeah, no, I, 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 I wanted <laughs> to talk about it because I think it's like for us, we, we played music together uh, for a long time. Yeah. And um, I was just remembering uh, when we, we lived in the same house for a short uh, period sure and uh 
we made we we had this thing going on or we, maybe we didn't do it a lot of uh, a lot but we had like our breakfast riff yeah. session uh that would be nice to get back to because uh, you came up i lived uh two floors yeah uh, above you and i was also facing um east so i had a nice uh morning sun yeah the sunrise came in and you brought this little uh maniker this little yeah i was uh, into getting like uh, um hardware synth gear at the time so like small weird mm-hmm. synthesizers korg very very small korg synths and stuff uh, yeah and I, I played on uh, my nylon that was the only uh guitar i had but I felt we we really got into this uh, long groove, um, and uh, I don't know. There was really searching for a feeling there, and I I think I think it's just like I I just remembered it very fondly now since we haven't recorded in a bit, and uh, yeah, uh, I wish I, I hope someday we can sit in the same room and like play together, like so we're not. There's no latency. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, this is a great format. It would be great. This is a great format that we can do. This is awesome, but we can't really jam together. Sometimes if you hear us play together in the show, either it's just by chance that it worked out, even though we have latency, <laughs> or I've tried to like <laughs> correct the latency afterwards sometimes to get them together. Yeah. Like, sadly, this is not like this is not a rehearsal or jam room for us. I mean, if it was, it would have been even more fun, right? <laughs> if we could actually jam. Oh, definitely. But maybe in the future, I don't know what they're going to do with this. It should be a market for this now. Like someone should be really honing in on those uh, algorithms or whatever it is to, to uh, make it possible. Well, I think maybe with, uh, if, if 5G isn't giving us COVID, then I think it's maybe helping us getting less latency. Um, that, that really, like, if you can get the those high, types of high-speed internets, I mean, I heard it's going to be like a hundred times faster. I don't know, 10 times maybe. That would that sounds good. Yeah, would ha- really help. Like the latency has to be super low because you have a problem even when it's uh, 10, 15 milliseconds already. Then it's, it's yeah, you're getting problematic. So I mean, I I hope mm. and I think it's going to be a possibility of like a virtual rehearsal space. I've heard things like it, but I'm not sure how it would actually work out. Uh, let's see in the future. And uh, for the breakfast riffs, that was cool. Yeah, you played an uh, acoustic nylon, and I played a. Very strange little uh, drum machine synthesizer type thing. I did some like swoosh sounds, and and I re- <laughs> when I reheard that song, I was um, impressed by ourselves. <laughs> As happens sometimes, yeah. It, you know, minimalistic was, desert rock, breakfast rock. It was like. Maybe like you, nice. the listener has already heard this because we might put it in the beginning of the episode as an intro. Yeah. We might. Yeah. We just might. Uh, hey, dear listener, thanks so much for listening to another episode of Gain It For Riffs, the only podcasts for riffs. Yeah. Podcast. <laughs> the plural is there. You always get podcasts and then sometimes you riff. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's well, we did, we did record several We did record several podcasts or pod shows, yeah. And I mean, thanks for listening and, and lose. keep spreading the I'm word. Losing. Keep spreading the word. The audience is growing slowly but surely, but uh, we'd like to see even more people come in. And I'm sure there are many out there that could benefit from listening to this show. So uh, that's me signing out, really. Uh, you have got anything more to add, maybe, before? Uh, R.I.P. Eddie Van Halen. That's true. Eddie Van Halen, R.I.P. <laughs> that's it that's my tribute (laughs) a very small one 
Yeah. That was nice. Great guitar player. Great <laughs> we, guitar should, player nah, so. we should do an uh, Eddie Van Halen episode, yeah. uh, Van Halen episode, with the little we know. Uh, I know nothing, so... Yeah. <laughs> who guitarists? Ah. We, we, we were, we were uh, current enough this week. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, have a great week. And uh, uh, riff till your fingers bleed. Yes. Ciao. Today begins the new Israel. Today, we are all united as one. Shakam Balada. Now, let us celebrate under one symbol. officially underway. Jews, Christians, and Muslims have united, ushering in 10 years of Van Halen. Out in the crowd, people are celebrating like never before. 